This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. It looks like one of those scenes of an old building being purposely dynamited and blown. When we are successful, I'm just a patsy. And we will be. You're ready to make, uh, to come to the microphone, so we'll listen up. A new world order. So my name's Robbie Parker. It might have appeared that way, but from my close-up inspection, there's no evidence of a plane having crashed anywhere near the Pentagon. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Live from the Media Broadcasting Center. 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 This is Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Bill, where this evening I have the special treat of having two experts on the phenomena of UFOs and ETs available, uh, activist Angel and Chance George, who knows a great deal about many subjects, including this. Before we get there, however, I want to begin with tributes to two great Americans. The very first slide is a memoriam to Muhammad Ali that was authored by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar himself, one of the greatest athletes in history. Mohammed described himself as the greatest, and as and it's almost embarrassing to say, George W. Bush observed that if you describe yourself as the greatest and you can back it up, it ain't bragging. Well, it wasn't bragging with Mohammed, and ironically, he was one of my four greatest all-time heroes, along with Bill Russell, JFK, and Bobby. If you look at the next slide, the second slide is a painting done done by Doug Alt, uh, which he sent to me where he wanted to share something he uh, did years ago entitled Float Like a Butterfly. And he's described it as Ali on the right throwing a hook into Norton's jaw on the left within the scene of butterflies. And it may take a little pondering or imagination to witness, but there it is. I think Doug Alt does a lot of good work, and I wanted to share that with all of you. The other very sobering event today is that Bobby Kennedy was eight years ago at the Ambassador Hotel in California after winning the Democratic nomination, which would have propelled him to the presidency of the United States. Alas, it was not to be a an aide, a senior aide, diverted him from the intended exit path through the uh, grand ballroom into the pantry. And as the next photograph shows, which was broadcast around the world, he was shot while shaking the hand of this, uh, of this Filipino uh, worker in the pantry. And it appears to have been a, a setup. Uh, everyone knows that Sirhan Sirhan fired a whole lot of, actually emptied his eight-shot revolver. But Sirhan was in front of Bobby, not behind him. And as the next slide shows, when Thomas Noguchi, who is a world-famous medical examiner, performed an official autopsy Robert Kennedy, he discovered that Bobby had been shot at Four time, at least four times from behind and hit three, one of the four shots passing through his clothing without hitting his body. But notice the paths he's diagrammed here. 
one of these shots uh, penetrated under Bobby's right armpit, exited through the upper portion of his chest at a 59-degree angle, suggesting that his arm must have been upraised when that bullet entered. Another uh, inch and a half below that one in terms of its entry point uh, traveled diagrammed in Noguchi's report, uh, fired from about an inch and a half distance. Sirhan was never anywhere near enough to have fired any of these shots. Clearly, there was one or more gunmen behind Bobby who actually did the dirty work while Sirhan functioned as a distraction. So we know that Sirhan Sirhan, like Lee Harvey before him, was merely a patsy, a distraction to divert attention from the real perps. The irony of this autopsy report is that because it was discrepant the official police LAPD analysis of the crime scene, Thomas Noguchi was fired. I mean, this just shows you the power of a corrupt, uh, where Daryl Gates, as I recall, was a he had a very firm hand. L.A. wanted to get their own Kennedy, just as Dallas had got its. But it's a disgrace that this happened. Uh, as many as 14 shots may have been fired in the pantry where the LAPD disposed after, re after dismantling the pantry. They disposed of all the parts on the ground that couldn't fit into a card file. I mean, that's how ridiculous it gets. Angel, you mentioned to me there's new... Witness reports coming out now. I'd be very interested if you wanted to add some comments. Well, I was just reading on uh, on CNN. They were interviewing that the actress. I'm sorry, I don't recall her name. And uh, then one of his best friends, who I believe was, sorry, I, uh, he he also did a really long interview. He's 91 now, and he described the events. And they were both very clear that they listed between 14 and 20 shots possible since Sir Hansen had eight shots in his gun. Right. I think 14 is probably the right number. In any case, thanks for that. I'll be looking into that more myself. Thank you for those added comments. Now, if we go to the next slide, Chance, it was very interesting that, that Angel and Chance had wanted me to look into the disclosure. I decided the best thing to do would be to report the first broadcast, the two-hour uh, Dr. Stephen Greer hosted disclosure project presented at the National Press Club, which included a dozen or more witnesses talking about what they knew personally up close and real, uh, which I thought was very impressive in its uh, collective way. This fellow is the general counsel for the disclosure project, a very, very uh, highly credentialed yeah. individual, very yeah. serious dude. Yeah. His name is Daniel Sheehan, and he argued the Pentagon Papers before the Supreme Court. He's a big deal. Right. He's very accomplished. Now, as the next slide shows, uh, one of the participants whom I found most impressive actually had some photographs. For some reason, there's a pointer on the screen, Jeff. Yeah, actually had some photographs to present, which I would have liked to have seen from all of the participants. In other words, while I appreciate their verbal testimony, it would have been greatly enhanced if they had presented photographs or drawings. And Chance, go to the next slide, like this one, which is probably the single most important. He's got the pointer up there. <laughs> Crazy. The single most important uh, document presented, in my opinion, 
you can see the little, I don't know if they're green, the little men inside this, uh, this design, which apparently is completely authentic. There was a very interesting story told about it where it was in the, just hanging on the wall of a very noted uh, investigator who hadn't taken it seriously and a general came to visit him. And when he saw it on the wall, he nearly threw a fit because he knew it was highly classified and didn't belong in the public domain or so they would have us believe. I mean, the, the, the fact that the government has covered up so much of this for so long is frankly embarrassing. And then the final slide I have before I turn it over to my tutors, uh, a, a presentation of the objectives uh, they want to attain through the Discovery Project, including full open congressional hearings to investigate the ET UFO subject, including witness testimony, with release from security oaths, immediate legislation, national and international treaties to ban space-based weapons, presidential action to declassify the ET UFO subject. I remember when Bill Clinton came into office, he had let it be known that there were two questions he wanted answers. One was who shot JFK? The other was what about UFOs? And of course, we're always talking about of extraterrestrial origin because we all know there are plenty of unidentified flying objects that turn out to be perfectly innocuous once they're identified. And Clinton, even though he was president of the United States, was informed that they were both above his security classification. How's that for being president of the United States? So, Chance, those were my slides in response. I found the whole thing quite fascinating. I was very glad I watched it, but I did believe it. Because even the first speaker held in his hand a tape, he said, that showed some of this most important information, and that should have been played. I was very distressed it wasn't. In any case, I'm going to turn it over to Chance and Angel now to take it away. I'm uh, This evening, I am your student. Delightful. It is, it is, I think it's the most important subject in the world, and I think that it comes at the heart of the truth movement in many ways. In uh, Dr. Greer's um, most explosive expose on November 21st of last year, uh, he does a three-hour and 50-minute um, demonstration, and he produces document after document after document. And uh, he tells the story, and you mentioned the Clintons, in the Q&A session at the end. He, I almost put it up as one of our clips. He tells the story of briefing the Clintons together, and he got to a certain level. He, he's briefed many, and he, he names names, and he's, he's out there uh, talking about the people that he, he's spoken with and naming names. He sat with Barry Goldwater, but he briefed the Clintons, and he said that it was Hillary that stood up and said, we are not going to talk about this anymore. This is too explosive. Stop this right now. But he says that Bill Clinton took the materials and kept them in his bathroom. And a friend of theirs that worked in the White House, friend of his that worked in the White House, said that Bill would come out of the bathroom and go, you know, I, I knew this stuff was true. And Greer does a great Clinton impersonation. So uh, that's a, a interesting moment, especially the timeliness of Hillary trying to grab the headlines and say, I'm going to be a UFO. I'm going to tell the truth about UFOs as if um, anybody in the UFO community would, you know, trust her further than they could throw her. Um he'll, he'll- the more I learn about Hillary, the more I despise her. She's a complete monster. She's been responsible for death and destruction all over the world. She sacrificed American security with her insecure server, which didn't have a password, and for the first several months wasn't even encrypted. I mean, this is totally irresponsible. This offense has nothing to do with criminal intent, so that William Weld, who's just 
and appointed the vice presidential nominee on the Libertarian candidate, uh, Libertarian Party ticket had blown his cover by saying he didn't see any signs of criminal intent, and therefore there was nothing to it, showing he was a complete ignoramus. I don't know, Angel, how we get people in these high positions who are so ignorant of subjects about which they ought to low, uh, if not a great deal, at least enough to make a considered statement about it and not just demonstrate that you're a, a moron. I think that again, uh, and it's so exciting for us to, you know, you, uh, to get to chat with you about this because I think Chance and I are both in agreement that we're talking about the seminal event that set aside the Constitution uh, of the United States because of something so vitally important. You, met, you were talking about the Disclosure Project witnesses, and uh, there is plenty of documentation. There's lots of photographic and video evidence out there, and most of it is just, you know, lights in the sky that can't be explained, and, you know, someone can say it's swamp gas. I, I, I think that it was the over 500 um, member high-level witnesses in the Disclosure Project that finally uh, broke the ice and in the upper communities, it's well known that it is no longer debatable whether ETs exist or whether we are working with them. The only debates are whether people should be told about it and whether or not they are, uh, whether or not this um, entire scary alien story is a psyop. And I think that's the huge uh, reason why it's such a timely bit of information right now, because we have an enormous rift in what is called the disclosure UFO community, where there's these, these widely successful and widely read researchers, David Icke and Wilcock and, and alleged whistleblowers coming forward and telling stories about there being evil ETs that, that inhabit bodies or run Satanist things and all that kind of stuff. And Greer has come forward, who is the most credible man on the planet about the subject. And he says, and it came out, it, the same thing was then told in story form in the latest X-Files. He said that that is not true. He said that it is uh, beings that have anti-gravity and free energy and healing technologies and uh, access to billions of planets and planetoids need absolutely nothing from us. Chance, are you still there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm always yeah. here. Uh, how about that? Do you have that Pravda article you can put up or uh, um, by any chance? Uh, the article I'll work on digging up and I'll, I'll see if we can get it on I'll, screen. I'll, I'll do a screen share. I have it. Uh, let me let me let me throw that up. If it would work. I cannot Scott Sheen share while the other participant is sharing. Oh, so you can't share and I can share. OK, so I'll do OK. Then I'll do a share screen. And then I go to my. And there's a little screen share over on the right. You have to hit a second time. So you have to do the screen share thing twice. Oh, okay. Okay, there we go. Oh, and then this is why, not that. Okay. So here is an article in Pravda. Uh, and uh, it, it, we're one of the only countries, major countries, that isn't openly talking about the fact that we're not alone anymore. And Can in you the, go to the top of the article? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. It's uh, X Files. It's translated. Oh, there we go. X Files, the Soviet Defense Ministry explo exposed. Um, uh, 221, 2013. And in the 12th paragraph, I love what they say. Uh, it says that um, the head of the experiment explained that humans were like small children to them. Quote, our civilization is too young to be of interest to them as a subject for a dialogue because we are also looking, we are also a part of the universe. We may harm ourselves and other civilizations with our foolish actions. So they are looking out for us. And a lot of the Disclosure Project information and I end square screen share by. But, but Angel, were they looking out for us at Fukushima? 
they they did in fact and um uh my information and i have a couple of sources of my own that are pretty tight knit um and i just go back to the bigger uh active speaker window okay um stop it right in the top middle oh top middle throw show thumbnail show nope. small active speaker video oh sorry I, i'm learning about this this is great um uh my sources say that uh Fukush- fukushima should have destroyed the planet. They have mox fuel in open pits. And when I, we first heard about it, I had a nuclear engineer friend that uh, was um, quite uh, distressed when we learned about the mox fuel. We were just waiting to die. And there's a lot of evidence and even a quote from a senior Japanese minister that talks about um, divine intervention that saved the Northern Hemisphere from being uh, irradiated. Um, the whole meaning, meaning for me to radiate it immediately because yeah, we're on the point of yeah. gradual rather than slow the, death rather than a rapid one. Exactly. Well, one of the uh, reasons that the disclosure project came forward, and they were all very clear about this, they said, I'm willing to take an oath uh, before Congress. And they said the entire reason they were coming forward was that they knew that the planet needed to be healed by the release of some of the breakthrough energies. We couldn't afford these poisonous energy technologies anymore, either nuclear or fossil, what they call fossil fuels, which I think are not fossil fuels at all. Um, And they were coming forward to say the only reason, uh, the only way you'll believe us about the breakthrough energies being real is if we tell you that they're capable of keeping that kind of a secret. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty staggering. Uh, Chance, how about um, I play that one six-minute section of, of what Dr. Gere had to say? Washington, and we had a meeting, and I began to explain to them that there are two governments. There's the government of we the people, that Thomas Jefferson spoke of, that we have elected, and uh, those who have been appointed, And since World War II, there has evolved uh, a monster, which we're going to hear about, which desperately needs to be put on a leash and eventually phased out. And that is the deep national security state of unacknowledged special access projects. Now, this is a term most people are not familiar with. Most of you, if you're anyone here from D.C., raise your hand if you're a D.C. person. You probably have heard of TSSCI, Top Secret Special Compartmented Intelligence. Um, a top secret clearance are like 985,000 people who have them. It's, you know, that and $1.50 will get you on the metro. So those are not unusual. What's unusual are the projects I'm about to talk to you about. And these unacknowledged special access projects are projects that have not been supervised by the president or the Congress in an appropriate way since 1956, at least 1956. This is a key date for you to keep in mind. Um, I was one year old, so I couldn't do anything about that. Most of us here weren't of an age where we could have done anything about that disaster. But we're going to talk about how that evolved and and how an unacknowledged special access project really operates. The very first thing you need to understand is that it developed as a consequence of the extraordinary secrecy around the UFO issue. And if you doubt it, it goes all the way back to 1945. I'm going to go through some documents. The one that's up here is one that we acquired and released, it's now the number one viewed document on the FBI site, this one. But before I get to that, I want to talk about what happened 
in the 1940s, in World War II. So most of you know we had President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and there were events going on in Europe and also in the Pacific, but mainly in Europe, um, where there were these things called Foo Fighters. Yes, it's a rock group, and uh, Dave Grohl, it's a great guy, he named his band after what I'm about to tell you. But a Foo Fighter, aside from being a, a really fun rock band, um, were objects that were flying around our aircraft in World War II. Sometimes they were fully materialized, hard. Most of the time, they were an energy field that looked spherical. And they could come through an aircraft, even coming down the center of an aircraft and out the other end. This is the trans-dimensional nature of extraterrestrial technologies that I covered in a previous workshop. This became a huge concern for the Allies. And the Allies uh, dispatched, or the President, I should say, on behalf of the Allies, dispatched a man named General Jimmy Doolittle. Now, how do I knew this? Because his nephew is a dear friend of mine, Dr. John Altshuler. Dr. Altshuler is a hematologist, oncologist in Denver, very renowned. And he was asked, uh, General Doolittle was asked to go over to the theater of operations in, in uh, Europe to find out what the hell these things were. Now, the word Foo Fighters come from sort of French and German foe for fire, because they were these fiery, had a luminous corona around them. And, uh, but they were, they would disrupt electromagnetic signals. Uh, they would have effects on the gravity around an aircraft uh, and other things such as uh, guidance systems, compasses, and what have you. And so we thought, the Americans and British thought, it was a secret Nazi weapon. And we found out through our spies that the Germans thought it was a secret allied weapon. And of course it was neither. So General Doolittle went over and investigated this and came back to the White House and reported back to President Roosevelt and said, sir, these are interplanetary vehicles, I'm quoting. And so began the modern era of a serious concern uh, from the national security level about UFOs. You can argue it went back to the airship scare of 1890s, late 1890s, where there were massive crafts seen off the coast of California, but there wasn't that much official concern at that point. It was sort of an enigma. But in World War II, because of the type of weapons being developed, both by Hitler and by America, the interstellars, as I call them, became very concerned about what humans were doing on Earth and the risk of us destroying this planet, uh, which I believe, uh, in carefully in analyzing the history of this, that they have an interest in its survival and humanity's survival. And so the president at that point did assemble a group of folks uh, that included Oppenheimer, uh, people who worked on the Manhattan Project, uh, Dr. Uh, Vannevar Bush, uh, no relationship to President Bush, um, and others to look into the issue. Uh, by the time we detonated the first atomic bomb, uh, the facilities at White Sands 
uh, missile range in New Mexico um, and Alamogordo, that area, were being overflown regularly by UFOs. And they were very concerned, obviously, that we were developing weapons that could terminate life on the planet. And they could see where this was headed. So this was not something that just happened out of the blue. There's a history here you must understand. In the early days, and I'm talking now from the early mid-1940s until 1956, there was a reasonable level of constitutional oversight by key members of Congress, senior people in the administrations, and the President of the United States. Everything changed in 1956. That was what I wanted to share, was the everything changed in 1956. Um, it, it, for uh, you mentioned how much you wanted to see documentation, and uh, it, it, this expose is amazing. He names more names. He talks about sitting in um, Barry Goldwater's living room. He he also mentions that he has been given special, and he mentions the names of. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have them off the top of my head, but several uh, heads of the CIA, heads of the military intelligence offices that have authorized him to announce that it is time for anybody in these secret black budget projects to put together a UNOD letter, and it oh, kills me, I can never remember what it stands for, but it's, it's, a, it's a declaration that uh, you are no longer, you're not bound by these people claiming you should keep this a secret because they are not part of the constitutional government. Your secrecy oaths to them are invalid and your constitutional oath is valid. Did I miss why 1956 was a turning point? Um, well, he goes, he goes on to talk about it. I, you know, I, I, I played that clip. There are certain events happened that they then took it out of, they took it out of the, you know, the presidential and congressional oversight and overview. And it then, um, uh, plays into the Kennedys, both of their assassination. The deep space, the deep space that was outside of congressional oversight was created because uh, of the, um, the decision to keep such a monumental secret, which I used to disagree with, then I agreed with, now I disagree. It's, it's very hard for me because um, there's a, a document that Truman uh, put together called the Brookings Institute document, and it, it detailed all of the rather staggering things that would happen uh, if disclosure were announced. And Dr. Gress, another part that he talks about that a little bit later. Chance, you have any th thoughts you want to throw in at the moment? I just wanted to uh, mention that um, Jim wanted to see the bodies, as you say. Uh, Stephen Greer has another documentary that is just unbelievable, and it was brought to the table called Sirius, and that one actually shows the bodies. They have a, a little teeny tiny, maybe about a nine-inch body that was also a second one of the exact same size, shape, and everything was brought to us by Russia. So the two different countries he had it scientifically analyzed it, the, the entire movie is a bunch of science dudes so it's like jim's buddies in there doing all their forensic testings and there was a couple of universities and, and they all came to the conclusion this was either out of this world or not human do we have a clip from this week at show
problem is not proving that UFOs exist. It's when you begin to expose the energy and propulsion systems behind how they're getting here. What scientists need to do is they need to look at the hardcore evidence, decide that, oh my gosh, ETs are real, and then get over that. Then you can start extrapolating. These sciences have been around for decades. They have been ruthlessly kept secret because of the power of a centralized petrodollar oil gas coal system. And right now these misanthropic sociopaths are running the planet into the ground. Governments have not gone far enough, so we've decided that as people to form our own movement. All right, game on. What we are attempting to achieve is a device which defeats the perpendicular force of gravity. We have so many modes of converting quantum vacuum energy or zero-point energy. This possible EVE was found in the Atacama Desert. We have the best scientists that are going to be doing the DNA testing. We have 1,150 teams of CE5 ambassadors. I can attest to the fact that real phenomenon happens here. And this is probably the most important thing going on in this planet today, and yet nobody talks about it. If we come together, we can make this happen in a matter of months, not decades. For this is the destiny of humanity. Yeah, there so, you go. So, wait a minute. So you're telling me somehow in 1956, for reasons we aren't putting our finger on yet, uh, everything was transformed in what had been heretofore quasi-public because it was at least available for oversight by these various committees no longer remained under their control. Yeah, and he goes very deeply into that. That's a, that's a three-hour and 50-minute thing that I took an excerpt from. He goes really deeply into that. He has some amazing documents that people have handed him. He's briefed uh, uh, almost every member of Congress. He's briefed uh, each of the presidents. Um, of course, he talks about you know Clinton and the, both the Clintons and, uh, and their reaction to it. And, of course, John Podesta was a major player in the Disclosure Project, which, by the way, happened five years ago. Joe Podesta is, is Hillary's campaign manager. Manager. Yeah, and, and he was Obama's chief of staff for a while. WTF. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, these are some big names, and uh, and boy, there's a there's a part where Dr. Greer and I, I I can I can swing it up to if we need to. It's a point where he makes very he talks very coherently about um, the inertia involved in the disclosure. You know, uh, people don't really want to be in charge in interesting times, like the Chinese curse said. They don't want to be the one where. This all comes forward. And there's another um, huge aspect of this, and it, and it plays into people that you know. You've worked closely with Preston James and with Kevin Barrett. And from opposite uh, sides of the spectrum, both of these brilliant people come from a religious background where they believe that ETs are demons of some kind. And that op, that they're either demons or they package us up and eat us like chicken or they they feed off our negative energy or they want our adrenal gland secretions you can't even believe or they're uh, george bush is a reptile alien you know shapeshifter all of these psyops 
our, our, our bologna sandwich. And that's what Greer came out to tell us. And that's why, uh, you know, last Friday, as we were trying to play his thing, Chance's uh, computer was attacked in mid-play. And uh, it's fascinating how, for a long time, even mentioning Dr. Greer's name on any UFO website would trigger an algorithm and your comment would just be unplugged. And, and so this battle between the ideas of, my God, we got to give the military a lot more money and a lot more power, a lot more secrecy, and watch out for these evil alien raiders and invaders, versus they are all benevolent, and if they wanted anything from us, there's nothing we could do to stop them, and they have access to planets everywhere. They, it's like us going to an ab- Aborigines and saying, uh, I want your bow and arrow. You know, give it to me right now by gunpoint. We, there's nothing they need from us, but they do, in fact, care about us. And there is a, what you might be called a, a greater spiritual aspect to it in that they understand the nature of the universe. That's what allows them to have their energy technologies. And the nature of the universe is such that we are all collected, connected in a great electronic, electromagnetic, you know, etherish common mind, a common God, Godhead, or if you want to call it, at least that's, that, that, that's what's, what's often talked about. Well, one can go a long way down that path without going all the way. That's not, that's right. That's right. Well, the important the, thing the, about from it. From what you're telling me, the, these uh, ETs are actually benevolent. They want to preserve life on earth, which could have easily been obliterated by Fukushima. I mean, I'm just stunned to know it could have been much worse because I've been having difficulty imagining what that would be. Uh, the, the destruction of the planet was an extinction-level event. You know, uh, well, I still regard as what happened as, hap- as being one. So, you know, I'm interested in these observations you're making that it could have been much, much worse, meaning brought about mass destruction much quicker. Absolutely. The important thing is this really is the goose that laid the golden egg because if you if if you think about the fact that we've had um chance do you have that one where uh the give me give us do the fun clip from the X Files for a little entertainment value where they go and see the ship uh, and uh, I labeled it like energy or something like that. Can can you give me a couple minutes on the clips because I've got your serious trailer uploading right now. Oh really. So oh, okay. it's transcoding, so just sure. give me a, a couple of minutes and then we'll oh, uh, Good work. Well, good no, work. The, the, the important thing is that every one of these people did not come forward saying, my God, I want to tell the whole world about ETs. They came forward to say that there are energy technologies being hidden from us that will heal the planet, that will offer um, – if you could create energy anywhere – and Dr. Greer mentions this at one point in time. Imagine uh, some people in Africa having access to energy where they could desalinate water, they could grow their own food. The, the power structure shifts from the centralized power into a democratized system, and, and we literally can feed and care for the entire planet. You know? I, I tend to think of things in macrocosmic, and you're familiar with Joseph Campbell and the Masks of God and Hero of the Thousand Faces, his work. Well, not to make the obvious point, but that would suggest that the oil industry has a major interest in suppressing this technology. Boy, do they. And I've got, we've got clips about that. It, well, we'll, Chance will be able to show you that in a minute. Um, it, uh, you know, and the truth is coming out in such a big way. Um, Foster Gamble, who was the uh, billionaire trust fund baby of the Proctor Gamble family, spent $30 million of his own money on a movie called Thrive, where he featured Dr. Greer and spoke about the magnetic motor technology. 
that is just one of the breakthrough energy technologies that are uh, that are available to us uh, behind the scenes. And I'm really fascinated by the fact that those of us in the truth community don't talk more about solutions and don't talk more about the possibilities that are out there for how things could. Yeah, yeah, but in many ways we have to get a clear grasp of the problem and the possible solutions, Angel. Yeah. And I mean, as far as some of this stuff is concerned, it's, it's, it's rather new to me. I mean, I'm fascinated by all this. Great. And I'm not disputing it. I just want to know more to get my bearings here to sort out what's going on. Considering how fundamental it is to the ability of the deep state to carry out each and every one of the massive lies that you have documented so brilliantly in your blog, uh, is it, 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 it really sits at the heart of it all. And the thing that I often say, Chance, let me know when you can play a clip. And the thing that I often uh, say is that it's important to not go halfway down the rabbit hole. Because if you go halfway uh, and, 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 and you look at all of the, the things that are going on and, uh, and the bad things that men do, uh, it, it, it really looks kind of But if you think of, the, of mankind not as a cancer, but as a child, and the earth is a, as a, um, a macrocosm of a pregnant being, and that means that we are not, uh, our earth isn't burdened by us as a tumor, but she's pregnant with us. And just as a child will take energy from its mother and she will be burdened and laboring and, and have all these pains and things at a certain point in time, just as that happens to a mother, the same thing's happening to our earth. And when a child is born, suddenly it takes a breath of air and takes oxygen from the world around it. And that's the exact equivalent of what's going to happen to us when we take energy from the world around us and, uh, and we work toward empowering women because once women are empowered in every civilized society, birth rates begin to drop and we no longer are overpopulating the planet. And we won't need to be shipping things from one side of the globe to the other and living in this throwaway disposable economy based on the, um, the fiction of growth and the fiction of fractional reserve banking and the fiction that energy is uh, scarce. Repeat that part about why birth rates would drop and yet it would be a positive thing. In every civilized country where women are empowered, uh, birth rates drop to below what they would call sustainable levels. You don't need birth rates to continually stay as long as you don't have the financial Ponzi scheme that we've got going on, where, you know, the, the young workers have to support the older ones. But the advent of robotic technology and the, the fact that we're 80 times more productive than we were 100 years ago, uh, we have uh, we, we have, we have amazing uh, um, and by empowering women, you don't mean making Hillary president. I certainly do not. How would that be? Yeah, that wouldn't be empowering women at all. I, you know, I had the debate with Kevin Barrett uh, on my show a little while ago, and uh, I, you know, as kindly as I could, but I've been really thinking a lot about the the current, you know, that you talk about the Muslim invasion that's going on, the soft invasion, you know, using the propaganda arms and the uh, the. Uh, the sympathies of people and calling them refugees, and it's really building on political correctness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and I, I'm I'm a little leery of any philosophy that subjugates women in any way. So that makes the Talmud or the um, uh, the outrageous Christian sects or the Muslim these uh, the this this edges of extremist faith 
are not just a problem for the Earth itself, but it's a problem for the Earth's opportunity to join our galactic family and, and, and you know, uh, boy, get to learn from what they have to teach us and take advantage of the technologies that have been hidden from us for so long. Chance, can we do an eclipse yet? No. When? <laughs> uh, when you asked, we were at 12%. We're at 70. So we're getting, we're getting there. Okay. Okay. That's not, not, not important. Okay. Angel, let uh, me ask you this during your conversation with Kevin. I've never seen him display what I would call a degree of, of uh, Islamic zealotry so explicitly as in relation to a context about homosexuality. I mean, I was just astounded. We were doing, uh, I think it was even a false flag weekly news, and something came up about gays or lesbian, and he just, really, I was just shocked with his the strength of his condemnation of anyone who doesn't practice straight heterosexual sex. You know, I, I was very nice when talking to him, and I had it in my list to ask him about Bakabazi, which is the, the you know, uh, Muslim world, world form of boy play you know they don't think it's homosexual if you don't fall in love with them and if they're under the under puberty that they just think of it as you know in certain parts of the world it's common but i did ask him about the female genital mutilation he said that isn't necessarily a part of things but you know and and we had a nice conversation because there's apparently a similar body of work in the muslim world to the talmud which is just a bunch of rabbis saying things that they go by you know what i mean it's not necessarily the torah or the Quran, but there's the, and he named it. It's a, it's a, it's a set of things that does that. But he had a very, uh, I don't know. He actually was very mellow. And, uh, when he talked to me about, uh, how important modesty was in the development of humankind. And, uh, I, you know, I, I actually was modesty, kind of, chastity, purity. Yeah. Yeah. I, virginity. I, I, sort of, I sort of felt for him. I mean, it, it does. He's very, he's very opposed to any form of sex outside of marriage. Contrary to his own rather libertine youth, because he writes about <laughs> really? his many escapades in his book, Truth Jihad, which is quite a read. Oh, so he did have a youthful expert. Oh, indeed he did. Well, that's very exciting. I wish I'd, I'll have to read his book next time before I talk to him. You know, he wouldn't like dolphins then. You know, dolphins are extremely, you know, bisexual and, you know, that nobody, they don't have any ceremonies when they're around. Uh, I don't think he worries about other about anything other than than humankind. Yeah, they have enough fixation on, you know, the restraints on. I, I have a, a friend, he was a chair of the department in Duluth when I was hired, who was Jewish. And we once had a conversation, we was talking about the difference between Judaism and Christianity and observing that in Judaism, there are lots of constraints on food, but not on sex. And in Christianity, <laughs> there are lots of constraints on sex, but not on food. <laughs> Except for shellfish. Uh, yeah, now, right. where, where, where Muslims fit into all this, I'm less clear. You know, we have a, a, a situation where the the body, I mean, we have, what, five Apollo astronauts now have come out and told us that this is, that AETs are real. Uh, Daniel Sheehan, Brigadier General Stephen Lovkin, uh, Carol Rosen, who was, um, uh, Werner von Braun's personal secretary, uh, admirals, uh, it, it, it just, the list goes on and on of people that have come forward and said this. And so the psychology of this situation becomes almost more important than the evidence in it. Know what I mean? And uh, I, I was, I, you know, for instance, you apparently have had John Lear on your program several times. The son of uh, an my, when I was radio, yeah, the radio yeah, show, yeah. I've had it on the video. And, 
and he, but he is a huge member of the Disclosure Project, uh, and I mean of the Disclosure Movement in Project Camelot. And as, as you know, when he that, talks about bases on the far side of the moon, Angel, it's difficult for me to imagine because the temperature there is like 250 to 350 below zero Fahrenheit. I mean, how can anything take place on the far side of the moon? Well, you and I both know that we can't trust anything that we're told by this alleged corporate media. It may or may not. There may be an atmosphere on the moon for all we know. But the chance, are we, are we up yet? 94%. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't do that again. Don't let us know, Angel. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, don't, don't like that. Um, because the, did you grab the one guy from the Disclosure Project, the sergeant that has the talks yeah. about the, um, the bases chance? I had about 50 of them all lined out, and in my limited one hour, I managed to get two uploaded to our player. And they're, they're the ones about the nuclear weapons, though, so I kind of thought they were a little... Oh, okay, that's a good one. Well, well, the, the one fellow, um, uh, he's a sergeant, and in, in the Disclosure Project, he describes be, being a photographic repairman during one of the NASA shoots. And he, and he very, uh, as I've never listened to a more believable guy because he tells a story about going into a... Uh, a room to repair a piece of photographic equipment and his guard was uh his same rank. So they had kind of, and the guard says, you know, and, and he says he was surprised when he got there to see people from all over the world milling about and there was a strange atmosphere. And he says, his guard says, do you know what? And he threw some uh, pictures down of bases he said, we found bases on the other side of the moon. And, uh and our Sergeant giving the testimony for the disclosure project says he became frightened because he knew that, um, he was uh, security was being compromised. He was being given classified information, uh, and he asked the guard to put it away. And soon thereafter, somebody came in and, and would have that's caught like, them. That's like when Wesley Clark was told they had a memorandum from the Secretary of Defense about in, in taking out the governments of seven countries in the next five years. And Wesley Clark said, "Is it classified?" And the general said, "Yes." And Clark said, "Well, then don't show me. So yeah. I can talk about it." Yeah, yeah, and uh, it. it there's so much potential in our in our planet, both in freeing ourselves from the energy slavery and freeing ourselves from the debt slavery, and this this constant meme that growth is the only way to get out of the Ponzi scheme of debt. Yeah, but it seems to me the only explanation for the suppression is because of the power of the gas and oil industry. That's all the only explanation I can discern. You know, that that the free energy would be too emancipating to mankind. Yes. Yeah, that that that's for absolutely sure. Uh I'll tell you what, 336.50. I'm gonna try I think I can get to a good spot on Greer and do a screen share. And uh so here, here goes that and uh scary characters. Um and then you have an agenda that has to do with um the fact that they're not so much still attached to the secrecy, but they don't know how to come clean without it being the biggest scandal in the history of the United States and many other countries. Because imagine this information coming out and being confirmed, and the world learns that for 60 years we haven't needed oil or gas or coal, that there have been all these things done. I mean, one of their concerns is that it could result in so much social instability they wouldn't be able to manage it. So there's a sort of inertia to the secrecy, a momentum, and it's very hard to stop it. So those are people who are just sitting on the fence who are placeholders 
status quo holders. And a man that was uh, good friends with W, I met with him at the university club over here, and he was sort of his advisor on nuclear power and stuff like this. And he said, you know, he says, I don't care if you're left, right, liberal, uh, conservative, Democrat, Republican, when you get into that building, and we just down the road, he's pointing at the White House, you govern as a conservative. I said, what do you mean? I said, he said, you do not want to be in charge when something this big happens and manage that change. I said, oh, I understand what you're talking about. I had an admiral who was in charge of CONUS, who was part of, and another guy named Admiral Harry Train, who became a member of MAGIC. Um, you want names? I mean, I have a lot of names. And, he, and this guy said, well, CONUS is continental United States security. And he says, my job is to maintain the homeostasis and of the world energy supply, just to have nothing disrupted. That's why we're in the Middle East so heavily. He says, and what you're saying is true. This should never have been kept secret. It should come out. But I just want to retire from this command and go fishing at my ranch out in, I think it was Montana or Wyoming. He says, I just want to get out of this position. So, you know, you have to, you know, live in their shoes for a minute. And I have a lot of compassion for that. A lot of these people have inherited this mess that got started. And this is why Senator Goldwater said to me, he said, you know, it was a goddamn mistake then, and it's a goddamn mistake now that this was ever kept secret. I'm quoting directly. I'm sitting in his living room. And, you know, so there are a lot of people who, though, who find themselves as placeholders, and they just don't want to disrupt the status quo. So there are different agendas for the secrecy. Some is global domination macroeconomically. Some have this quasi-religious sort of end times, you know, final battle in space nonsense. You know, it's almost like you get into the wackiness of science fiction, but it's real. This Dr. Strangelovian view. Some it's all just about maintaining the status quo of how the world operates. Because imagine if every village in Africa and every place in India had a free energy device, they had electrification, refrigeration, crops could be grown under controlled environments with zero energy cost. You would have the two and a half billion people in China and India, their economic output would, uh, would be parity with the United States. We only have 300 million. So the US and Europe only has 700 million, the rest of the world is seven billion. Money flows to where economic prowess and power is, right? That's why America is the biggest economy. China's about to get there, but, but bestrides the globe. But this would change the macroeconomic thing over, almost overnight, certainly within a generation, 15 or 20 years. So those are folks who are looking at the reality of that kind of change and go, no, it's too big of a change. Now, that has been going on for 60 years or more. I mean, the secrecy on the energy stuff has been going on for 100. And that's what has led us to the precipice of an environmental meltdown and global injustice. And as more and more people are impoverished and a more and more elite parasitic kleptocracy has the money, this is a prescription for global revolution and upheaval and terrorism. So the more we stay on this path, the harder it's going to be. So even though the change is daunting to take on, it's still the right thing to do. And the longer we put it off, the harder it's going to be. So my advice has been for 20 years, meeting with people in high places, do it. But it's easier said than done. Uh, another question. Good, yeah. good place to cut. Yeah, that's exactly where, yeah. Your, your battery's down to 45%, by the way. Well, I'll plug it in during the break. I'll be fine. All right.
Now, Chance probably has a clip for us. Oh, yeah, they're all working now, so you can pretty okay. much uh, pick whichever one you want there. Oh, let's do the um, the spaceship one uh, from X-Files. That's the one with By the, the way, listen, I thought the most disappointing speaker was, I think it was the sergeant who said when he was asked what they looked like, that they were all these different shapes. I thought that was just discrediting of the whole presentation. That really bothered me a lot. So we may want to return to this. There were a couple of people that I don't think I believe in that, it's, that made it into the disclosure project. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is what in particular in response to the answer, not what he said in his presentation. Yeah, yeah. We answered the question. He said, some could look like you or me, and others could look like little green men. You know, I mean, it was just too vast. It was a shape-shifting yeah. alien kind of thing that I found very discrediting. Yeah, and they spend a lot of money on these on the layers of onions that they're putting together uh, to to hide this, just as they've done in, as you've seen in the nine one one and Sandy Hook and all that kind of stuff. Um, okay. Okay, we see what we got here. Which which clip? Sixteen fifteen through seventeen fifty. So right after Dr. Gear had this presentation, X Files said the same thing. The basic thing that thing that is so blockbuster. She's saying all of the abductions were done by men in reverse engineered ships and had nothing to do with ETs. It was done to scare people and their, uh, I mean, I don't think oh, I want really? to. Yeah, yes, that's the, oh, block, really? the blockbuster assertion. And that was then played in the X-Files next in ways that we'll show so you. They're actually abducting women and probing their various parts just for cheap thrills? No, creating hybrid. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, along yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see that one, Chance. I want to prepare you for what you're about to see, Mr. Mulder. Faraday cage? For what? Do you know what an ARV is? That's what you brought me here to see? This is Garner. He'll walk you through the science. That's an alien replica vehicle? Given your background, I would have thought you'd seen one. No, never. Not like that. What we're showing you, we do at great risk. Colleagues have had labs burned to the ground and work destroyed by our own government. Electromagnetic field. Technology kept secret for 70 years while the world ran on petroleum. Oil companies making trillions. So, well, you know, you know, Angel, I yep. hardly ever watched the X Files, but I saw this episode. Did you? It was the recent one. That's great. It has some good stuff in it. So we're 5:57. We're taking a break in a couple minutes. Yeah, let's see how close we are right now. Did now you, you you're just right right we got we got a minute or two and then we'll take a break. You're just beginning it to be really interested in this. I mean, are there any questions that have come up? I mean, there isn't an aspect of it I don't think I've looked into or chance. Oh, I just want to see more data. Yeah, cool. I want more data. 
My mind is open to the possibility, without a doubt, watching the disclosure thing at the National Press Club. And notice it didn't get any publicity, or at least I'm unaware. Right. Did it get a lot of worldwide publicity at the I time? Got, I got a comment on both those things. Go ahead, Jim. Okay. Um, first of all, the publicity, it happened, I believe the date was May 9th, 2001. May 1st. May 1st. Now, that was right before this real big event that kind of took over everything. I think uh, we're heavily familiar with it, 9-11. There was no topic that was, was basically happened at that time. You know, uh, the day before the Pentagon came out and mentioned we're missing $2.3 trillion. No one talked about that. Uh, they 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 had this press conference where they basically are saying here's you know a, a lineup of, of of officials on stage giving you disclosure and we have 400 more in the back you know they had a list of 500 so there wasn't just those guys you see there so it, major major news that happened pre 9/11 in the months that led up basically was nothing null and void gone no one is even talking about it because there's this huge huge event that happened. And then, you know, there's been no traction, and it's almost a convenient time to have such a, a giant disclosure. Very, very interesting, Chance. Very and, interesting. and then one more thing about the, the um, you wanted more documentation or more, uh, you know, information or more presentations. What, what Greer had mentioned is he had 127 hours of testimonial recordings that he had shipped um, senators and all that, a four-hour version of, like a summary. But the disclosure project that you see on YouTube that was at the press club was only an hour and 55 of kind of like a, you know, it'd be like a, like a first day at, at watching, you know, the JFK at Oliver Stone. So you watch that and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I'm interested. Let's see this 127 hours or, or like, you well, know. I didn't have 127 hours, but I want to see what you guys have got after the break. Right. This, this right. is a good time, isn't it, Chance? Yeah. Works for me. Sounds good. Thank you. This is Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal, uh, with my special guest activist, Angel, and Chance George, giving me a tutorial about the Disclosure Project. We'll be right back. Less than 3% of you people read books, because less than 15% of you read newspapers. Right now, there is a whole, an entire generation that never knew anything that didn't come out of this tube. This tube can make or break presidents, popes, prime ministers. Television is not the truth. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. Broadcasting live on network radio. So turn off your television sets, turn them off now, turn them off and leave them off.
We can now say with moral certainty and considerable scientific authority that the death of JFK was committed by a meticulously executed conspiracy which was obscured by an extensive cover-up. Murder in Dealey Plaza, edited by James Fetzer, goes to the heart of the JFK assassination. You'll read new and up-to-date information regarding the Secret Service, the Lincoln limousine, the medical evidence, the cover-up, altering the film, framing the patsy, and the silent historians. Also, 16 smoking guns, each one crushing the government's lone assassin scenario. A world-class chronology of November 22, 1963. Chapters by David W. Mantic, Gary Aguilar, Vincent Palomara, Douglas Weldon, Jack White, Ira David Wood III, James H. Fetzer, Doug Horn, and a classic essay by Bertrand Russell. The complete story in the pages of one single book, edited by James H. Fetzer. Read it now. Read it again. You'll use it as a reference. Murder in Dealey Plaza. Available at Amazon.com and major bookstores around the world. It's murder. This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. It looks like one of those scenes of an old building being purposely dynamited and blown. When we are successful, I'm just a patsy. And we will be. We're ready to make, uh, to come to the microphone, so we'll listen up. A new world order. So my name's Robbie Parker. It might have appeared that way, but from my close-up inspection, there's no evidence of a plane having crashed anywhere near the Pentagon. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Live from the Media Broadcasting Center. 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 Hello. Well, you are watching The Real Deal with James Fetzer. I'm Activist Angel. I'm here with Chance George. Jim's uh, stepped away to get a cup of coffee, and we're carrying on with our discussion of Dr. Stephen Greer and this Disclosure Project. For those of you that are watching this on archive, uh, if you happen to have been there trying to watch in the uh, feed and it went down, we apologize for that. Apparently, this information is just too truthful and too real and too factual. We can't possibly have it um, be disseminated <laughs> free and and streaming uh just fascinating uh we've had a great first hour talking about uh the disclosure project and uh eliminating our uh mentor and friend dr fetzer and uh i'm going to go ahead i want so much that i want him to see anything else you want to say at the moment chance oh well just to uh just to tell people about what they're talking about with this problem with the live streaming, it, it, it's this topic. It, it seems to get uh, messed around with a lot. And this channel in particular, we've kind of seen a lot of, of issues with. And, and part of the issues is, is like you said, you know, you're, you're putting out a live feed. 
of some information that most people can't handle or that uh, is controversial. And I think Jim's publicity from himself kind of brought the, the attention to this channel to the point where files are being encrypted, files are being deleted, shows are being taken down, specific archives and things are being destroyed, guests are unable to connect. There's just so many tiny coincidences that people would say, or people would say, you know, well, how do you know they're messing with your channel? Well, yeah, there's hundreds of incidences that are, I could literally write a full page book on what has happened around here of just, you know, I guess that must be a coincidence that, you know, the one day that we were going to do a show about the Pentagon and the no planes at the Pentagon that our guest wasn't able to connect our, archives were deleted my files wouldn't start my entire archiving system was rebooted you saw the the screenshots of me being um what did you call that encrypted hacked or whatever yeah uh, hostage hacked or whatever ransom, you know ransomware you were ransomware ransomware <laughs> yeah, i like that now is, is the fact that even the archive had a hard time going up my my in-house recordings were deleted you know just all a coincidence or something going on when that happens to particular information i think it gives a lot more credibility you know they can try and they i i, I don't know they're really pulling out the stops chance i think i think we're on to something i think we're that we couldn't be more timely and we couldn't be talking about anything more important uh on the planet we're talking about right now i mean look they've even abducted jim <laughs> you know He's been taken up on a spacecraft. He's having things, you know, inserted. And uh, this, this is this is probably what happened. Jay, who's been listening this whole time, said, that's it. Jim okay. has finally started talking about aliens. Pull him. Yeah. Oh, no. God. I, I, I went, if I were a conspiracy theorist, I'd be worried right now. <laughs> I'd be shaking in my boots. It's not like Jim not to show up on time, is it? Once in a blue moon, he'll miss the intro by about 30 seconds and I got to clip another play or the guest says hello. But I mean, there's, there's not very often that we got this empty chair. Well, this is highly unusual that we've lost Jim Fetzer at this moment. Maybe he's run. Maybe he said, you know, this is just too weird for me. You know, I, I, I have whole blogs about Paul McCartney being a fake and I can't handle the disclosure project. Well, he did say in, in, in numerous occasions that uh, if it wasn't controversial or extreme, there's no actual real point in, in covering it because, you know, it would be boring or, or everybody else is covering it. So yeah. I, I think this is taking the real deal to, to the next level. So, yeah. And look, yeah, look what we got here. You know, I might try and find um, uh, some, we, a little bit more. I wanted to, to, to mention to Jim when I came back from grabbing my coffee that to, to watch the serious trailer. So that might be one thing that you might want to, to get queued up I, on. I, I want him to see. He'll never go back and listen to this. So we got to pick something that not, not Jim might, you know, not might. Oh, he'll be surprised. He watches the archives. I get notes sent to me quite often. Oh. Well, how about, how, about, how about playing a couple of clips from the Disclosure Project that he has already seen? Like, uh, you got the, the, the one about, um, the nuclear weapons. Remember you had those, those guys lined up? Yes. Um, the first one that I've got is Captain Robert Sales. And okay. this is, this is about a five minute clip. And oh. he's, he's talking yeah. about being 60 feet underground and the guy's going to no go. 
Yep. And then yep. Uh, the, the second one that we have is a, is another confirmation of a guy who is, who is in charge. And this is only about a two-minute clip. So I'll, I'll play the first one. Right. And if Jim is back from his uh, beaming up, oh, <laughs> then uh, I'll, I'll stop at that first clip. And if he's not okay. back, I'm going to let the, the whole two just play okay. for the seven minutes. Sounds good. So this – is. This, is, this is the this is the uh, a prime example of, of in the 1960s they stepped in that uh, we, we, we they were worried about what was going on and, and they stepped in and uh, cared about what was going on. Hi Jim, we we were certain you'd yeah, been abducted. glad you went ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go, go no, we we were certain you'd been abducted because this information. <laughs> too, too good an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna play a couple of the um uh. He can't hear it again, so so we'd be back to uh, um, because he's already seen it. Then we'll play it, but we're gonna play a couple of oh. clips from the disclosure project. Jim can't hear it or see it well. So. Can't hear or see him? You you don't do screen share? You do something else? I see. Well, whenever we do it, uh, he's already he's fed me all the files, so he's already seen them and heard them, and and, and, and he I can't just, hear it. Okay, maybe yeah. hear, you'll hear it through our microphones or something. Okay, let me. Uh, Get this first one queued up here. And this is Robert Sales, who uh, describes his experience with uh, having his nuclear weapons that he was in charge of go into a no-go. Captain Robert. My name is Robert Sales. My name is Robert Sales. Uh, contrary to what it says on the card, I was not a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. I was in the Air Force uh, active duty after I graduated from the Air Force Academy in 1964 until 1971 and separated as a captain. In uh, uh, March of 1967, I was stationed at Malmstrom Air Force Base, Montana, uh, as a missile launch officer, Minuteman missiles. Uh, on an on a early morning of uh, March 16th, 1967, I got a call from my security guard, primary security guard upstairs. Uh, we had about uh, six, as I recall, uh, security uh, airmen upstairs. I was downstairs 60 feet underground in a capsule uh, monitoring and uh, controlling 10 uh, nuclear-tipped Minuteman missiles. Uh, I got a call that morning uh, that they were seeing strange lights flying in the sky. Uh, I, I disregarded that call. I told them to uh, call me when something more significant happened. Um, I got another call uh, subsequent to that call. And this time it was a more uh, intense tone, and the in the guard's uh, voice is very clearly very frightened. Um, he said there was a uh, a bright, glowing red object hovering outside the front gate. It was oval shaped. Uh, he had all the other guards out there with their weapons drawn. Right after that call, I woke up my commander, who was on a rest period, uh, uh, Fred Mywald. A retired colonel now, uh, and uh, told him about the phone calls. As I was telling him about the phone calls, my weapons started going down uh, one after the other. They went into a no-go condition, what we call no-go condition. They were unlaunchable. Um, <clears throat> we lost uh, somewhere between uh, six and eight weapons that morning. Uh, within minutes of having received that second phone call of uh, a UFO hovering outside the front gate. Uh, uh, again that morning, we re after reporting it to the uh, command post, uh, we 
we were informed that a similar, very similar incident happened at Echo Flight. Uh, I was at Oscar Flight. They lost all ten of their weapons under similar circumstances, very similar circumstances, where UFOs were sighted over the launch facilities. Uh, They had had maintenance crews and security crews out there that had spent the night, and they were reporting UFOs over those sites. Uh, And the commander of of that flight was uh, Eric Carlson. Uh, He's... He uh, also separated as a captain, and the deputy commander was uh, Walt uh, Fiegel, uh, retired as a lieutenant colonel. Uh, we have those witnesses uh, that I just mentioned. The, the names I just mentioned are uh, have, have spoken of this event before, and they will back up this story. Uh, we also have documentation. Uh, that I received uh, through FOA requests from the Air Force uh, outlining the, the Echo flight incident and including in, in that documentation a reference to UFOs. We have uh, telexes uh, covering this incident, uh, and in one telex it, it says uh, the fact that no apparent reason for the loss of 10 missiles can be readily identified is cause for grave concern to this headquarters. Uh, this was from SAC headquarters. <clears throat> so we've received, we've got those telexes. I've got about 12 witnesses that will verify parts of this story, including um, uh, of a man who investigated the incident afterwards for the Air Force. And you'll hear a little bit more about that with, from the next witness. Uh, and also uh, another guard that uh, witnessed a UFO in that same time period and another officer who retired a full colonel who had other reports of UFOs. <clears throat> and ciliary to that, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got the complete report on a Minot, North Dakota incident. That was Minot Air Force Base, North Dakota, which happened in August of 1966. Very similar UFOs sighted over uh, uh, missile silos, and also a UFO incident that was re- that was investigated by the Air Force immediately after our incident within a week. I'm willing to testify to the truth of all these matters that I've spoken about this in front of Congress. Well, this is all fascinating stuff. Uh, I, I I would love to a- emphasize something, and that is that um, it is this this is true uh it 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 really is out there and disclosure of some kind is coming and the reason it's so important for us to be discussing this is the same reason why we are monitoring things like the false flags that are happening everywhere and uh and these these elites uh or whatever you want to call them sometimes they're so horrible uh want to control this issue in a way that will retain power for them. And two things. One, I think that this entire issue uh, and the the convoluted um, uh, storytelling and misstepping about um, demons and evil creatures uh, has to do with control. Because if you are an elite that is raping people's wives and children, uh, and and uh, on your estate or whatever, and you're just a human being, 
you uh, are killable. But if you have managed to get your magician to uh, put something in the incense at the church and then have a, a, a spiritual thing appear behind you, woo, 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 and uh, in the in the ancient art of prestidigitation and make all the stupid peasants think that you have demonic backing, it stops them from coming in with their pitchforks. And I think we're seeing the holographic representation of that today. Speaking of holograms, there is a project that Chansky will tell you about called Bluebeam. Are you familiar with that, Jim? I've heard the name. It is a project where they plan or they want to plan. And again, saying that they at least want to plan things no longer means they're going to succeed at it, right? Just because they have FEMA camps doesn't mean they're going to get us into them, right? Just because they have hollow point bullets everywhere doesn't mean we're going to get shot with them. But they, they plan to, or they think their plan, to use holographic projections similar to the planes on 9-11, use holographic projections to claim that either Jesus or Muhammad is descending from the clouds and 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 have the sound you know whichever country it's in and then they will have recently um uh seeded the sky with tons of oxytocin or whatever else bonding or drug chemical to make everybody susceptible to the Jesus's returned motif and uh and it's interesting uh, I have Mormon missionaries visit my house because I was raised Mormon and the Mormon religion actually has as part of its tenet that we came from other planets so it's the only major religion that literally has in its doctrine that, that 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 God lives on another oh, planet. The angel Moroni. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, and God lives on a planet called Kolob, and uh, and you get God a planet. God lives on a planet. Yeah, yeah, called Kolob. God and lives on a planet. That's part of the Mormon religion. You can go on the LDS website and it'll tell you all about it. And uh, they they believe that you get to be a god of your own planet if you get three wives and and advance enough. You get to you can have your own planet of, of your own. But I, you know, I tell the missionaries. You don't get exhausted. <laughs> I know. Well, is, that tell, the, is that the later day saints? Yeah, Latter Saints. I tell them, you know, all I want to know, missionaries, is how will I know whether it's really Jesus or whether it's this government hologram? That's all I need you to answer for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, that's a fascinating aside. Yeah. I would, I, I would, the only thing I would disagree with about the hologram and the project Bluebeam is I don't think they're going to do a, uh, a particular Jesus or a deity. I think that. There was only two possible scenarios that the, the, the general public would take and accept for disclosure. And for one, I believe that the disclosure project was allowed to go forward as a test run for disclosure. I almost think that that probably was the one shot at, at official disclosure because you'll never, ever have President Barack Obama or, or Hillary or whoever – scams their way into into the, the shame house. Donald Trump. Trump. He's not gonna get in, guys. Uh, yes, don't even, don't even get me started on Okay, no, anyway, I'm friends so with both have, of you guys. Don't make me talk about Trump. We'll never we'll never have him. Ask Scott ask Scott Adams of the Dilbert creator what's gonna happen. Anyway. No um, no I, I, I like I said, you won't have an actual official from the White House say it. Now I just think that's just plain out gonna happen. So the only two possible scenarios was to have the U.S. Army or the U.S. military come out with an official disclosure or the Vatican or some sort of religious entity such as the Pope. So that, that's your basic only two options that I think that the, the human, the, the general population, like, you know, uh, the regular people out there who aren't into this movement, I think that's the only way they'll accept it. 
So when the disclosure project came out, they wanted to see what would happen, the shock value. They knew the 9-11 was coming and it wasn't going to get that much traction anyway. So they, I think the next real kind of route, because there wasn't a giant outcry, there wasn't a huge shift in the military completely dropping their posts and, and kind of flipping the gate. I think what they, they kind of realize is that they're going to have to go with the church angle. And and when you guys were bringing up earlier about different church things and, and um, you know, how it, they, they think it's demons or all that, I, I just wanted to read a couple quotes out of a few books here that were from what the religious people are doing right now, all about disclosure. And this is why I, this is why I personally think disclosure. Now, Project Bluebeam, I think they're going to have aliens show up on Project Bluebeam. Pretend we're being invaded. Yeah, it won't be. Yeah. It won't be a, a Jesus oh, it'll, moment. It'll, it'll, it'll be, be Armag- Armageddon. Yeah. Fear for your lives. Everyone needs fear, yeah. which is what yeah. they sell on TV. The country needs to be put under martial law to protect us from the alien invasion. Exactly. That's, Carol Rosen in the Disclosure Project, the personal assistant of Werner von Braun, says it on his deathbed that first they would use terrorists, and then the last card is they would fake an alien invasion. She's been very clear about that. You know, she's this, in the archive from last Friday's show. Gee, aren't we glad we have all those FEMA camps where we can find refuge? That's right. Yeah. We'll be safe there. <laughs> now, now this Good. is from Rebecca Boyle of Until Popular our Science. Heads separated from our bodies. Yeah. This is uh, from Popular Science Magazine, Rebecca Boyle, and she's just commenting on, on the actual the topic, and then I'll get another little paragraph here. A new instrument with an evil-sounding name helps scientists see how stars are born. Lucifer, which stands for Large Binocular Telescope Near Infrared Utility Camera with Integrated Field and Unit for Extragolastic Research, is a chilled instrument attached to the telescope in Arizona. And yes, it's named after the devil, whose name itself means morning star, and which happens to be right on the Vatican Observatory on Mount Graham in Tucson. Okay, so this this is, it's known as Project Lucifer. It's the largest telescope in the entire world. It's on the Vatican's research facility in Mount Graham. Why do they call it Project Lucifer? Well, uh, it's... The acronym that just happens to, to come out of this, even though it, it really isn't, but but it's obviously by design. You don't get oh, that. Of, of course it is. You, you don't be one so of those. So what uh, world is going on here? Okay, so so let's get a quote from the guy who's who's running the show up there. Um, this is uh, Vatican astro Vatican astronomers have been leaking to the media in recent years, including captivating comments from Jesuit priests like Guy Consumer... I cannot pronounce this guy's name for the life of me. Consumigli, C-O-N-S-O-L-M-A-G-N-O. It's Italian, for sure. A leading astronomer who is also, turns out to be the Vatican spokesperson. He's worked for NASA, he's taught at Harvard, he's taught at MIT... And he's currently at the Vatican Observatory Laboratory and splits his time between Italy and Arizona. Over the last few years, Guy has focused so much time and effort in reconciling science and religion in public forums, specifically to the life and potential impact of future faith on extraterrestrials. He has decided that he is going to help out. Okay, this is where I um, just wanted to kind of explain. He's, he's basically going to be the spokesman for when 
it hits the fan, like when we see the Project Bluebeam come down. He's actually um, released a, a PDF file called Intelligent Life of the Universe, the Catholic Belief, and the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligent Life. And by the time that he had published it, it got yanked completely by the Vatican. Like, they, they, they had no idea he went this far in the public. Now, now what, what a lot of the research that I went down just following, why would the Vatican have a telescope named Lucifer? That's crazy. Why would they do all this? More reports, and I have videos of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and document a lot more into into your description. Videos of the actual guys there saying, when they're looking up with this 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 specific telescope, largest telescope in the world, that it's it's almost infrared. It it, it it's able to see things that that normal telescopes can't because it's using a different light spectrum. It says sometimes at nighttime they have to wait for the alien craft. They say there's so many alien craft above our heads at all times. They have to wait for them to leave just to be able to see into the cosmos for the, really? the planets really? that they're looking for. Really? It's like Another, a haze created by alien spacecraft. Yes. Wow. Yes. Now, 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 most Catholics, religious, or anybody that's on that doctrine has basically been against aliens or the belief of aliens because it, it kind of blows away the whole doctrine of god and then you know the, the god created that so you got extraterrestrials well who created that and all of a sudden it's a mind conundrum so what i'm hearing and 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 i did an entire show about this before the pope resigned i said this pope's going to quit and the new pope that comes on is going to be the one that breaks down religion in the traditional sense when he's done in, incorporating his own doctrine, he's going to try and unify all the other religions around the world, and he's doing both of these things so far, and he's going to be the one to disclose aliens. He's going to say that the, the apple wasn't bitten by these entities. They never fell from God. They, they remained more in touch with the, the, the heavens and the one. So basically, we are to... To, to listen to what they have to say. And then this Project Bluebeam, or, or whatever we have that's going to be leading us down this, this road, and, and, and if you look at the United Nations as an empty chair for an ambassador to the aliens, and, and the Vatican says that they're, they're willing to baptize the aliens when they get here, and, and all the talk of it, it's just pushing closer and closer and closer to the inevitable, yes, here is your, your presented aliens, your evil or or things that we have to be fearful, or anything like that. What they do not want to talk about, because, because this is all out in the open, and it's, it's pretty much plain as day to anyone who's looking for it anymore, what they don't want to talk about is how did the aliens get here? Get here. How are they powering these things? You know, um, first of all, just, just to prove that Stephen Greer is probably making a valid point that uh, these guys aren't evil or evil intentions, at any point in time, if you could travel across the cosmos, just, oof, here I am. You know, it takes us thousands and thousands of years to try and get anywhere in, in our, you know, fossil fuel industry. If, if you had the technology to just poof and you're here, you could poof and be gone our planet. Like, like I mean, literally our, our planet be gone in an instantaneous second. They have capabilities and technologies we couldn't even fathom. We're gonna believe that they're just kind of, you know, wonder if they're gonna, they're gonna try and mess with us. No, they're they're basically looking at us like you fools. Like they would have to be. Wait, that's that's we can't even get off this planet. 
or, or not officially. That's where the logic is so important, and that's where we're at a crux. Because what you, when you talk about the Vatican saying that you know the, uh, maybe they're benevolent, or Stephen Greer saying they're benevolent, you have these entire cottage industry fear mongers that buy these secret space program people and all that stuff. Uh, I'm just seeing a little square chance. I don't know if that's what the people are seeing. Um, uh, this whole cottage industry that is so enmeshed and ingrained in this uh, reptile alien want to eat us routine this that that Stephen Greer explains as a complete psyop. Aliens do not take anything. It's all being done by men. But let's not lose sight of the reason why we're doing this. And if, I'm going to do a screen share. Chance, you there? I'm always here. Okay, you've just uh, you, you, it turned it a little square. I don't know what, if I'm seeing what people are seeing. Sometimes I try and just keep my camera off because it gets uh, less computer well, usage on my end. I didn't so. see me. I don't see me when I'm up. Is that the deal? I just see a square. I don't know what you see. I'm in Canada. Okay. Well, I'm going to share screen. I'm going to play a two-minute clip of Roger uh, of Brian O'Leary, NASA astronaut, talking clearly about the, what the, the point behind all of this. So here we go. Breakthrough solutions, and much to my surprise. These concepts have been proven in hundreds of laboratories throughout the world, and yet they have not really seen the light of day. Rather than smashing things together and trying to control the explosion, these new technologies rely on dancing with what naturally is. The common denominator of all the free energy devices I've seen is that they mimic in one way or another the Taurus energy shape. If the new energy technologies were to be set free worldwide, uh, the change would be profound. It would uh, affect everybody. It would be uh, applicable everywhere. These technologies are absolutely the most important thing that's happened in the history of the world. There we go. NASA astronaut, you know, uh, most important thing that's happened in the history of the world, which is why the public in general knows nothing at all about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Isn't that stunning? Yeah. Isn't yeah. that stunning? Yeah. Well, uh, our leaders are better described as our misleaders. Now, the, the, the little symbol that you saw there at the bottom that said thrive, that, that's a, a show from Foster Gamble, a documentary maker and i interviewed him for two hours and i talked to him for probably seven hours off air you interviewed and, foster gamble you stud oh my god yeah in like 2012 that's and awesome it was right when he was coming out and i could tell you all about that and the actual shape that you see in there is what's known as a torus yeah and that shape can be found in in all of geometry all your different uh platonic solids make that shape uh, basically, if you pictured like a, a dodecahedron, it, 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 it flows the energy right through the middle of it, and it looks uh, what the, the actual name that he uses is called a vector equilibrium, is the, the shape of how this all works. And the basic theory behind it would be you picture a circle, and then inside of the circle is like a funnel tube where it meets in the middle, smallest, and then comes back out the bottom and gets big again and comes around. So you see that with the pattern of the globe, the, the way the poles work. You see that in the shape of an apple, an orange. You see that in basic uh, uh, 
um, how a cell works where you have the, the nucleus and the atom and, and the, the, it's all the exact thing. Everything uh, uh, small in this world, everything to the large, the way the planets are, everything in the cosmos works in this exact field where this field of energy is basically a pattern that creates everything. Everything that goes down into the smallest of the smallest, just these little tiny dots that are phasing in and out of reality, and it's all bound together by this toroidal field. So actual airwaves that we're seemingly thinking are, are just completely hollow and there's nothing here, well, there's thousands and thousands of communications going across the airwaves right now, and unless you're specifically tuned into them, you couldn't even recognize that they're there. But once you're tuned into them, it's there. And what, you could switch over to another channel, it's gone, you're back, you're gone. That type of thing just, you know, it's taken for granted that air doesn't have some sort of magnetism to it. And, 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 and it really does. And basically, when they're saying that there's nothing there, well, science, modern science, the pretty much, you know, blind leading the blind, where they're basically saying, you know, we have... We don't know what 90% of the brain does. We don't know what, what we can't see 90% of visible light spectrum. We have no idea about what dark and gray and all this mysterious matters are. All of these different string theories are just literal theories at this point, which they can't prove. They haven't explored 99.9% .9 of all the galaxies. They, they, there's so many angles where they're admitting they have literal no idea. And at the same time, they're saying that this, the space that's all around us is obviously, it's just nothing. Well, I, 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 I highly disagree with, with any way of, of, of imagining that is possible. And, and people have actually gone out and started to do some of the scientific work and find out that this field of energy is actually abundant everywhere. Everywhere. And, and it's so abundant that the tiniest, tiniest little bit of this energy that's around us in like a square cube could could literally whole cities this this, this is thousands of times beyond nuclear this is a, a, an amazing thing that is is the reason why they will have no problem in a 9-11 style event of of giving you anybody in the world to burn but anything to do with 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 any kind of free energy technology or if it had anything to do with a jfk having you know he stumbled upon this technology they'll give you anybody else in the world to burn except for the person that's that's on this angle that's why i think there's a lot of red herrings in the 9-11 movement that's why i think the military will come up with these these very elaborate projects to, to block and to put up the project blue beams and and to have uh, alien abductions a lot of that is just actual secret military technology but they're getting this technology from uh, the, the, the technology from fallen crafts, from things that they've tried to shoot down, from things that, uh, you know, the, the, the Roswell events, stuff like this, where they're uh, reverse engineering and, and doing what they do. But I can't really say that modern science, with the way that they look at things, even has a fighting chance of being able to discover this because their entire foundation of everything is wrong. Well, but man, chance you're mistaking. Two different questions, namely widely accepted theories at the time versus the scientific method. The scientific method is founded upon four stages of puzzlement, speculation, adaptation, explanation, 
And it's only through the scientific method that you would make discoveries of this kind. So your, your fault, you're making, uh, you know, you're misplacing your complaint. You're saying contemporarily accepted theories uh, are inadequate, which may well be true, but the only way you could demonstrate it to be true would be by applying this proper, the proper application of scientific method. I, I, I would love to step in because I've often said that the UFO phenomenon is the third worst kept secret. The second worst kept secret is that uh, money is created out of nothing by banks and, and, they, and they don't do anything but extract. And the first best kept secret is that the universe is electrogravitic and not uh, electromagnetic and not gravitic. And that JP Morgan just uh, paid to have textbooks rewritten uh, uh, back when he had copper lines and wanted to make electricity transmittable over his copper lines. If you really look into what's called the electric universe theory, well, all of these r- ridiculous, uh, you, you, your guy was on, on, on your I had a wonderful interview. Yeah. yeah he was, he was, I love that guy. Um, uh, it, it shows that, the, that um, our looking for energy is like a fish looking for water and that that secret has been kept from us. So the scientific method has been invalid because all these kids have been taught things that black holes are real and dark matter is real and pulsar or who knows where they come from. The look, 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 look. Once again, you're mistaking specific claims about the facts, about which uh, science historically re- revises itself as an ongoing process of successive approximation versus the method that is definitive of scientific inquiry. There's nothing faulty about the method. What you're saying is some contemporaneous results appear to have been superseded and that what's being taught in many colleges and universities hasn't caught up yet. That's what you're really saying. Oh, my God. What I'm really saying is I, I need to go back and watch this to watch what you just said so I can grasp it. <laughs> I mean, it's like your book, Cognitive, well, I'm Cognitive Philosophy. I'm like, wow, I have to read it over and over again to catch that. Well, I, I, think, I, think my, I think part of my problem with modern science, though, is if, if, if you're a scientist, a lot of these people work out of universities and well-established establishments. And a lot of them, if you don't make the new discovery yourself, you're not really profiting in any way and you're not going to acknowledge it or, or go out of your way to, to help accept it and qualify these new findings. And at the same time, you're, you're, you're putting your livelihood and your reputation and everything on the line. You have things to lose. Like it almost seems like these people from the internet or, or, or background home, uh, scientists, using the scientific method, you're right, are, are finding these, these extreme findings or, or, or different well, scenarios compared to, to what a college or university was because they won't look out of their box because they're well, paid Thomas, Thomas S. Kuhn was a foremost student of what he called paradigms or conceptual frameworks that are overarching structures that give you a worldview and what you're suggesting is these new results really are significant enough to bring about a change in paradigms, a paradigm shift in the, in the natural sciences, in particular physics and astronomy, when they're properly worked through. And what, what he and Imre Lakatos and some others have observed is that there's a way of hanging on to the paradigm where you seek to deflect the falsifying significance of new data or experimental results by claiming that there's something wrong with the evidence or the method it was acquired. For example, when Galileo first turned his telescope to the moon and discovered it was all pockmarked and irregular, he was contradicting uh, an element of 
Christian theology that was merged with Aristotelian metaphysics that had it that all, there was a classic distinction between the terrestrial, what happens on earth, and the celestial in the skies, where the kind of motion peculiar to the skies was all circular involving perfectly spherical objects. Now, when Galileo looked at the moon and found it was all pockmarked and irregular, he, he provided falsifying evidence for this Aristotelian view that had been blended with Christian theology to become a dictum of the time, and the bishops of Padua sought to deflect the falsifying significance of his observation by saying either he wasn't looking at the moon or there was something about the telescope that distorted what you see so that when they were perfectly smooth, they'd look all pockmarked and irregular or an alternative to that. But the point is that if you, if you, no matter how absurd it might seem, if you want to maintain some position, come what may, you can revise all of your other beliefs in order to accommodate it, and that's perfectly logically possible. It's not rational, but it's perfectly logically possible. Well, that, in modern day times, look what they've done to your friend uh, James Tracy. You know, they've kicked him right out of, of a, a, a tenure position, and... At the same time, if you were back in the day and you just happened to be saying the things like you're talking about here and you were female, they'd call you a witch and burn you. So, I mean. Yeah, the Tracy case is an interesting one. This is very much political, of course. Yeah. It's like, there's, you know, there's an established political position. So if you're a critic of the established political position, which it's taken for granted must be true, then there must be something wrong with you. And if there's something wrong with you, as a, a, a professor of communication, media, and conspiracy, which was his role, then, uh, you know, uh, they need to get rid of you because you're, you're damaged goods. You're not capable of performing the function you're supposed to perform, which in their view, from a political point of view, is to support the, the government's position no matter what the issue, no matter what the state. Today we see that same thing happening with uh, the gravitic, uh, old gravitic earth paradigm, the pardon me, gravitic universe paradigm, when we see huge bursts of energy come from somewhere and they theorize it must be a black hole that sucks light and now black holes burp. I don't know if you heard that latest one. Somehow they burp. Who knows? It's, it's, it's the, the most anthropomorphic uh, uh, idea uh, well, remember, remember when you get into highly theoretical areas of astrophysics, for example, they try to find popular ways to convey very difficult, abstruse subjects. So they'll use a phrase like burping. Yeah. Bay in a popular science. Bay. But, it, but well, even if you look at the science of it, it's a, an extraordinary burst of energy from something that's supposed to be sucking energy all the time. But my son was doing, at the age of 13, was doing a paper on the electric universe for his science class. And in his research, he found something called the expanding Earth theory, which in an electric universe makes sense. And that is that uh, Pangea wasn't this giant thing on one side of a water-filled Earth at one point in time, but the Earth actually was smaller and expanded, and the continents uh, were touching on the other side as well, which apparently is corroborated by the geological and uh, biological data of those edges as well, and it solves the dinosaur problem because dinosaurs are too big to have ever existed in current gravity, but if the Earth is growing and had less mass before, it would have had a smaller gravity. And well, this, this, is, this is certainly a much more interesting hypothesis 
than the flat earth business, which I cannot abide. I cannot believe anyone in this day and age would take a flat earth hypothesis seriously. And, 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 and yet you, you have Scott Bennett and Michael Jay on your program. I'm watching and I, I love it. You know, yeah. Are they flat earthers? Yeah, both of them. Hardcore. Really? Yeah. Big God time. Lord. <laughs> yeah. Michael Jay, especially on my show, he just went to town on that. I am floored. We're talking about exciting paradigms here that will transform humanity. We're talking about uh, uh, being able to democratize food and energy. Together. And then you know, the next episode of the show, the next hour is with Michael J. and Scott Bennett. Ah, okay, good. I, I'm going to watch that one and be in the chat yeah. room. Yeah. But we're talking about being able to uh, people create their own energy. That means you can desalinate all the water you want, bloom the deserts, have um, energy for a year round greenhouse wherever you are, start building eco villages and ecosystems that work together. If we get our local currency happening, we can break free of this slavery paradigm. With, with, without having to worry about whether or not Obama or the Vatican announce anything. And the, 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 one of the reasons I think that they're really downplaying the existence of 3D printing, even though it's the next huge thing, it's the microwave oven of the next generation, it's the computer of the next generation, it's, it's, an enorm- it's what our kids will tell their kids what. When I was young, we didn't have 3D printers. Isn't that amazing? Their kids will go, really, Dad? You, how did how did you make things at how? Well, we had to go out and use a hammer and nails. Oh, well, I'll tell you that story. You know what I mean? That's what it's going to be like for them, like it's like for my kid. He's like, what? You didn't have the, the Internet? When? When did that happen? And they're doing that because the plans will be put out for these free energy devices, uh, and everyone will be able to make one, and there's no way the men in black suits can walk into everybody's backyard and undo all of the energy systems that are being created. Most intriguing chance. I think Angel's a lot more hopeful than I am. <laughs> he, <laughs> he generally looks on the positive side yeah, of this. He seem to be an optimist at heart. I've noticed that. <laughs> now, I, I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but I'm trying to be more of a realist. And realistically, every single person who's brought one of these machines and has come to the table and has called a patent office, has had their projects stolen, the greatest mind of all time in our in our lifetime, well, not my lifetime, but I mean, in, in the latest lifetime was Nicholas Tesla. He literally got murdered and his entire everything stolen by the government because he came out with this stuff. And they knew not only is this national security, but this is the end of the game for you. you the, the control is gone. It's. What's what's happening now is that people are building them, but they're being smart and not putting it on the Web. Oh, and that's what's got to happen. Going on all over the place. That's what that's what's got to happen. Is you got to be really secretive about this, and then when you come out with it, you've got to have some sort of of public campaign with everybody in on it, or the proverbial you know poop's going to hit the spread flanner on the on well, the roof. Fascinated by Angel's depiction of the benevolence of the ETs. Uh, can we talk more about that? What what do we know about their origin or evolution? Is anyone speculated on this? Chance, I, take that? I I would follow it through not not religious belief systems, but through recorded history in things like the Septuagint Bible, um, any of the Sumerian tablets, and all that. They a lot of them talk about original man being seated by. Um, you know, we had man on the planet, but then modern man was seeded through through alien intervention. Um, it talks about it in Genesis where they depict 
Adam being put to sleep and, and uh, a rib. The, the problem with those theories of, uh, you know, Earth being colonized by ancient astronauts, for example, because where did they come from? Were they colonized by even more ancient astronauts? some point, you have to have evolution. It's a simpler theory simply to have evolution emerge here if it's got to emerge somewhere for organic life forms to develop and evolve and to attribute it to an, a, a regressive cycle of ever earlier instantiations or populations by earlier astronauts. I mean, it's it's a bit much. Well, you you could argue... I, I, I'm not with, saying, Chance, that there may not have been recordings of visitations, but, uh, you know, you can't account for the origin of life without invoking evolution at some point. Oh, I, I, I'm not saying that, that evolution on, on a scale hasn't happened or that it couldn't be possible or that it's wrong, but what I'm saying is on every ancient monument around the entire planet and all of the cultures and all of the religions and the all of the, the, the knowledge that's been left for mankind that people have no idea how it got there. None of it's sitting there talking about evolution and theories like that. All of it's talking about we were brought here and seated by an ancient alien or ancient god or an ancient dragon culture or whatever that particular realm of the world is talking about. And that that's how man went from being basically caveman walking around and trying to discover fire to these people that we've become and everything that's happened from then has been seeded through this alien technology and that they're coming back around. They, they're on this different planet that comes back around every once in, a, in an eon or an age. And if you look through times where advancements have happened, it's always on this exact same kind of cycle of, of when this supposed planet comes back around or, or when they're checking on us. I, I think we need to really remember that the universe seems to be set up in many ways, microcosmically and macrocosmically. Um, Atom is a nucleus with electrons going around it. A solar system is a sun with planets going around it. There's a macrocosm. And the idea that life, uh, life as we know it, is created by uh, a feminine receptive and a masculine proactive coming together, I but, think Earth and Starseed worked together to, to create um, some of the life on Earth. Every, every ancient man and every ancient culture believed that there was the septillion uh, belief system or the seven visible planets, which were your five planets and your, your two lunars, your, your moon and the earth. And they all base that on, you know, um, not only was that out in the, the atmosphere and above, but it was inside of us. We had our seven different organ systems. We have the seven chakras. We have all of the, yeah. the, the correlations that go along with that. And, and they truly believe that that's, that's a real thing. As above, so below. The Masons, all of the mystery schools all believe this. Well. Okay, tell me more about the Disclosure Project and how far they've gone in characterizing these alien forms. What are they like? That's kind of tough because you've got so much disinformation going on. And uh, actually, Stephen Greer says that in, in currently his current understanding is that all of the ETs that are intelligent and traveling around are, are bipedal 
and and operate similarly to we do, but they came from different phylums. So there are ETs out there that did not come from the primate phylum, but maybe came from the feline phylum or the canine phylum or even a, an insect phylum. That's what that's what I heard he, him say last. And uh, uh, once again, we're dealing with a situation where there's so much disinformation. I think that's the thing that makes me angriest of all it, in in the secrecy of it is that I don't get to see or read their books or read their history. But then again, if they just closed it in 1945, there'd be no Isaac Asimov or Ray Bradbury, right? Who'd be, who'd be writing science fiction books if we had all of their stuff to already read? Did you so, have an interest in science fiction as a youth? Oh, gosh, yes. Are you kidding? Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah. How about you, Chance? What, what, do, you, what do you think we've heard about the, the ETs and what they're like? Well, I, I would really, honestly, in my soul, like to believe that they're they're not going to harm us, and and I believe that if they wanted to, they would have destroyed us by now. But I don't also think that there's just one generic breed of alien. Like if you looked out into the cosmos or the heavens or whatever people call it, it, it it's got to be obvious that there is other life forms out there. I would never believe that any of them are or is you know as equal as just of all of us, or I mean like as is the same as all of us on earth like on earth we have humanity but there's chinese people and and then you know there's africans there's mexicans there's there's such a diversity just here on earth as above so below it'd be ridiculous to think that there's not different species breeds kinds some of them could be evil as all hell hopefully they don't get anywhere near us i'm just but, wondering what the discovery or the disclosure they, project has yielded in oh, terms of results specific well, there, results there, there are, um, there are, the greys are, are most likely have, were cre hybrids created by, uh, the secret space program men. I, I, uh, and, and there, but there are cousins of ours out there. There are beings who look very similar to us. There are the Nordics, from what I understand, that are tall and blonde and blue eyed. You're talking about reproduction between aliens and humans? Oh, well, that's pretty much established. Well, but you see, happened. that gets very complicated in the DNA. And, you know, you're going to have to have a very complicated structure for your DNA molecule in order for reproduction to take place. Now, genetic engineering is a, a different matter. But is, isn't, that, isn't that what we saw in the Bible is the first recorded case of genetic engineering that people didn't realize was genetic engineering until now? I mean, Adam, he put to sleep when you were talking about the yeah, he, yeah, he's put to sleep. The rib from my rib, bone from my bone, and then my clone was brought about. I think that that entire story, like my personal belief system is the greys are fake as all hell. Those are not real. That's not aliens. That's us faking it. And the yeah. real, real aliens look exactly like you and me. Maybe not the different pigments of different people and different cultures around Earth because that's how we deal with this planet. But they look exactly like modern man. And every recorded religion, culture, and history says they look exactly like us. What has the X-Files had to say about this resemblance relationship? Something very similar to what, something was very similar to what Chance just said, is oh. that the greys are, 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 are hybrids created uh, and or their costumes worn uh, during the abduction thing in order to frighten people. There's other elements that we could talk about, about why the elites want a DNA base. Uh, it's easier for them to get uh, transplant organs from people that are 
uh, healthier or, or some people's blood is a little bit, you know, juicier for their transfusions to make them feel younger. Unfortunately, there might be some other elements going on to the elite's uh, use of this technology that I, uh, I, I'm looking forward to our galactic brethren, uh, being able to guide us and, and work with us. We're, we're, we're pregnant and there are midwives out there and we have family out there. They're waiting for us to be born. And when, when we are, there's going to be some blood and goop, but what we need to do is give the earth a perineum massage and some warm blankets and soft music. <laughs> Chance, would you like to say a few last words before we conclude? I, I, I just think that a lot of people should go out and watch the Disclosure Project, watch the follow-up documentary called Sirius. Uh, I found the trailer, so I'm going to include that in, like, uh, in the... God, yeah, I wanted to see that. I'm really yeah. sorry we right. didn't. Because, because see it anyway, right? Well, because we couldn't show it to Jim, I'm going to include it in the commercial break during the archives. We'll send okay. Jim. We'll send Jim the link so he can Good. see it. There's actual Good. footage of what they believe is is found alien. Good. Um, I, I think that people should go down this route. When you find this information, you need to share it. But then, just at the same point in time, it might not be the alien aspect of it, or it might not be the aspect of 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 what political or what religious doctrine is being broken here. People just need to realize that the energy scam that's being suppressed in the background, that's the entire reason why they make the alien. Um, what's that new show that's on TV? It's huge. Everyone watches it. Ancient alien or yeah. whatever. That's why there's shows like this out there with guys with big hair going out of their mind talking about aliens and they look crazy because they do not want people to realize that if the aliens are real if the aliens are real they had to get here and since they got here and they're not stopping at a petro station then we're obviously behind on the curve so I, just 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 look that up, and, and Jim, thanks for you know letting me actually get on the air and talk. Oh, you yeah. sitting in the background, just yeah. just dying to get on air. This is <laughs> your host on the Real Deal. Thank you, my special guest, Chance George, activist angel, for being here, and all of you for watching. Bye, everybody. Good morning. My name is Dwayne Arneson. I served 26 years as a communication electronics officer in the U.S. Air Force uh, all over the world, including Vietnam. I uh, was lucky to be selected to be commander of three different units in the Air Force. I held the top secret SCI TK clearance, and for those who know, it is slightly above top secret. I retired in 1986 as a colonel at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. I would like to relate about three different experiences, if you will, that relate to UFOs. As a young lieutenant over in Germany, Ramstein Air Base, Germany, back in the early 60s, I was in charge of the cryptographic center. I had a top-secret crypto clearance at that time, and I can clearly recall seeing a message that went through my crypto center which said that a UFO had crashed on the island of Spitsbergen, Norway, and the team of scientists were coming to investigate it. Going forward to the 1967 time frame, I was assigned to the 28th Air Division at Great Falls, Montana, and I was the officer in charge of the communications center there. 
Also, I was a top secret control officer for the division. I uh, had a crypto account. I was an account custodian, and I also passed out nuclear launch authenticators. During that time, I can recall seeing a message come through that communication center which said, basically what Bob was just got through talking about, is that a UFO was seen near the missile silos, and the missiles were deactivated. Coincidentally, my first, the person that Boeing sent to investigate the particular missile conditions, if you will, what made them shut down, was my first manager at Boeing, Mr. Bob Kaminsky, who has since passed away. And I can recall him on different occasions. He lived close to me in Auburn, Washington. That's where I'm from. And he said, Arnie, he says, those missiles were perfectly clean. That was the result. So the one last incident concerned when I was in the, as a commander of the unit in uh, Great Falls, or in Caswell Air Force Station, Maine, I had contacts with the security police at Lauren Air Force Base, and they told about UFOs that were seen near the uh, nuclear weapon storage areas on Lauren Air Force Base. And I'd be glad to testify to Congress that this is absolutely the truth. My name is John Callahan. I'm a retired FAA employee. I was the division manager for the Accidents Evaluation and Investigation Division in D.C. About two years before I retired, I received a call from Alaska region where the um, region wanted to know what to tell the media. When I questioned, tell the media what, he says about the UFO, and it went downhill from there. What UFO? It turned out I told him what any government employee would do at that time was to tell him it's under investigation. And then I had him send all that data to the FAA's tech center in Atlantic City. The next day, my uh, immediate boss, service director, Harvey Safir, and I went to Atlantic City. I had just purchased a, uh, a new video camera, and I videoed the, uh, the event. In Atlantic City, we had them play back on a, uh, on a scope, you would call it a scope, a plan view display, PVD, exactly what the pilot uh, uh, seen or what the controller seen, and we uh, tied it in with the voice uh, tape so we could hear exactly what the controller said and what he heard, and we taped it. We came back the next day, uh, briefed the administrator, Admiral Ingen, on what happened. He wanted a five-minute briefing. After we started the briefing, he wanted to know if he could see the video. We put the video on. He watched the video, the whole video. The next day, uh, he set up a, uh, a meeting for me to give a dog and pony show to President Reagan's scientific staff and whoever they brought over and to hand off all that data to them. That uh, morning in the FAA round room, it was either 9 or 10 o'clock, uh, three men from uh, Reagan's scientific staff, three CIA people, three FBI people, and I don't remember who the other guys were, along with all the FAA experts that I brought with me that could decide or talk about the hardware and the software, how it worked. We put on a dog and pony show. We let them watch the video. We had all the data there. We had all the printouts that the computer uh, put out. They got all excited over it. When it was all done, the uh, CIA, uh, one of the CIA men told the people they were now sworn to secrecy that this meeting never happened and this event never happened. When I asked them why, uh, uh, I thought it was probably just a stealth bomber at the time, he says, well, this is the first time 
that we have uh, recorded radar data on a UFO, and these guys are going to get all excited uh, drooling over all this data. I said, well, you're going to tell the public about it. And he says, no, we don't tell the public about this. It would uh, panic the public. He says, we're going to go back and study this. I said, okay. That uh, was what he was going to do. Now, I've told this story many times, and I get sometimes funny looks from people. I have with me the uh, voice tapes of the uh, controllers that were involved, the FAA original tapes. See, after we handed this stuff off to the president's staff, the FAA didn't know what to do with it. We don't separate UFOs from real traffic, so it's not our problem. Okay? <laughs> I have a copy of the original of the uh, video that we took, which is rather interesting. And once, once the thing was all over, the report started coming into my office, but because it wasn't an FAA air traffic problem, the FAA's report ended up on a table in my office. And it stayed there until I retired when one of the staffers packed up all my gear and helped it move to my house. Also, in a box I found just a few good days ago, in my 1992 tax return, I have the target printouts from the uh, computer data which so if you wanted to or, or, or look at every target that was up there at the time, you can now reproduce this from this piece of paper here. And it's called the UFO Incident, uh, Japan 1648, I believe the number was, that happened on November the 18th, 1986. Uh, I'm prepared to go to Congress, to swear before Congress that everything I've told you people and everything that is here is the truth. Thank you. Good morning. I hope you'll pardon me. I'm a little bit nervous. My name is Charles L. Brown. I'm a lieutenant colonel of the U.S. Air Force, retired, subsequently seven years with the Foreign Service. I like the name Charlie Brown, a gentleman by the name of Charles Schultz, of great talent, sort of uh, elevated the name, if you will. Uh, during World War II, I was a Young farm boy from West Virginia, I got the patriotic bug, joined the United States Army, ended up flying bombers in Europe, and ended the war transport in the Pacific. Finished college in the summer, late summer of 49, recalled to active duty in the newly formed United States Air Force. I was assigned to an organization called Office of Special Investigations. The Air Force, as most of you know, was formed in 1947. OSI as a central investigative agency for the Air Force was formed, I think, in 1948. So everything was relatively new. Needless to say, starting in 47, UFOs were rather new. The Air Force Intelligence, or Air Technical Intelligence Center was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and I had my office in a building adjacent to it. And our organization was the worldwide investigative agency for the Air Force for any unidentified flying objects. This lasted for about two years. The project name was known as Project Grudge. It was the predecessor to a project known as Blue Book, which Andrew Pelt headed. During my experience with it, I would collect the data from I didn't collect it. It was sent into my office. I analyzed it. As a pilot investigator, I was able to offer some bits of advice to the air technical intelligence people. Now, you might visualize a massive office, but as I recall, we had a first lieutenant, uh, a secretary, and a technical sergeant. 
that was the essence of Project Blue Book when it started, or Project Grudge Blue Book, and expanded somewhat. During the review as an analyst of these various documentary reports, if you will, or documents, I became clearly convinced that there was substance to what was being reported in that we had ground visual, ground radar, airborne visual, and airborne radar confirmation of some of these sightings. The individuals who made the sightings were everything from airline pilots, military pilots, police officers, some of the people that your lives depend upon on a daily basis. These are very reputable and credible people. I hope that the testimony here from very credible people will convince you of that and will further Steve Greer's disclosure project in that pressure needs to be brought to bring this to the attention not only of the Americans but of people all over the planet. These vehicles have been seen and confirmed all over the planet. I am willing to sign a sworn statement or testify to my judgment and to what I have observed. Such things do exist. Please believe me. Please believe the those to follow me. Thank you. My name is Don Phillips. I was in the United States Air Force and uh, had worked with certain intelligence agencies of the United States government. Prior to my Air Force uh, prior to joining the Air Force, I worked for the famous Lockheed Skunk Works. And I was working for them when I was attending college, and I worked, them, I worked for them in the capacity as a design engineer. It was one of my proudest moments of my life to work with a man by the name of Kelly Johnson. A lot of you might be familiar with that. Uh, it turns out that the models of aircraft that we were building, as you know, uh, were all classified, were in the deep black, and that I came in on, on the end of the U-2 project. My main project was known later as the SR-71. The SR-71 had a predecessor. It had a special model built for the CIA and that those models were one, one passenger, one pilot, special aircraft, in order to get from one place to another very, very quickly. Now, these SR-71s, as we know them, the Blackbird, are the type of aircraft that are still classified, in a sense, as far as the altitude that it flies at and also the speed records that it holds. I'm very proud to say that this aircraft played a big part in helping to end the Cold War. The aircraft, the predecessor aircraft, there's strong evidence to suggest that perhaps these aircraft had a different role once in the air. Each pilot, and I knew a few of them, each pilot had an assignment before they took off. Okay? They learned about the assignment immediately prior to takeoff, and there's strong evidence to suggest that there was a dual role in that they were monitoring some type of traffic to and from planet Earth. This can be verified at a later point. This was, pro I'll jump into my military experience. 
My first field assignment for the United States Air Force was at Las Vegas Air Force Station, and that was my first experience with Las Vegas, and I couldn't understand why people were being so uh, excited about going to a place such as this, but I soon found out about a year later. Uh, Nellis Air Force Base is located there. Nellis is a major training center for different types of special aircraft and fighter aircraft, one of the premier training sites for pilots all around the world. However, when I learned that my assignment was at a radar site 50 miles out of town up near Mount Charleston, uh, I had no idea where, we, where I'd be, so finally in the daylight I was able to find the location and reported in, uh, in 1965 for duty. In 1966, early in the morning, about 1 to 2 a.m., I was sleeping, I was staying there on base, and our barracks were at about mm, 8,000 feet. I heard a lot of commotion. You know, at that altitude, sound carries. Sound carries tremendously. And I thought, well, it's early in the morning, it's summertime, and there is a lot, it's very warm, and maybe I should get up and take a look. I didn't really want to, but I got up and took a look, walked up to the main road up near my office, which was the commander's office. I was on the commander's staff, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Evans. And I couldn't, I, I was saying, who's making all this noise? Who's making all this noise at this time of the morning? So when I got within about 50 yards of the five, four or five people that were standing there, one being the chief of security, they were looking up in the air, and I said, gee, they all, their heads are all head, uh, looking at the same direction. Well, I looked up to the west, northwest, and to my amazement, there were lights flashing around the sky, moving at anywhere from what seemed like 2,400 to about 3,800 miles per hour. Now, the fact that we're taking an estimate from a distance uh, you know, we figured, well, this is, this is quite something. However, we continue to watch these, these darting lights go across the sky and stop, absolutely stop, come to a dead stop and reverse in an acute angle their direction and then proceed on in sort of, they were traveling so fast that you could almost see a pattern left by, if you are computer people, when you move a mouse real quick across the screen, you see a little bit of a tail. Well, that's exactly the way these six or seven craft worked. After five minutes of watching these things, they all seemed to group up to the west-northwest. Okay? They started to come in on a circle. But what I would like to point out is that where they were putting on their display in the north-northwest sky, just directly east of that is what is known as Area 51. Area 51 is a AEC name, okay? Atomic Energy Commission. That was the old name for Atomic Energy Commission. We knew it as the Groom Lake Flight Test Facility in the Air Force. And it was where we tested our aircraft at the, after we got the prototype made from the Skunk Works. So here are these, let's get back to the circle in the sky. What they did was coalesce and, and started rotating in a circle, and then they disappeared. Well, I thought, gee, this is something that we have to keep quiet, and that was verified by the chief of security. 
But we waited there and talked it over for a little bit. It seemed like, I think it was an hour. Then came the radar people from the scopes, which were at 10,000 plus feet, came down for their dinner at 2 o'clock in the morning. And the first person off the bus was a good friend of mine, Anthony Kesar. He said, he was white as a sheet, and he says, did you see that? Yeah, we all said, yeah, yeah, it was a nice display. What a show. He says, we documented them on radar. And he says, we didn't give them clearance. We just, the standing order was let them fly through the radar beam. He says, we documented six to seven UFOs. Now, we don't know who was guiding those, but they were certainly intelligent. And uh, we don't know where they landed because they coalesced and disappeared. So I will say at this point, to keep it short, that I will testify under oath as to what I say is true, and I will do so before Congress. Thank you. I've been standing here for over an hour. I haven't seen a soul. I called you because you said if I ever put the pieces together that you would confirm. And have you put them together? I've met someone. Seen something. Of course, you weren't even close. Warring aliens lighting each other on fire and other such nonsense. I was being cleverly manipulated. And what brings this new clarity? I saw an ARV running on free energy. I saw it disappear. That's what they all seem to do. But the technology exists. It's existed since Roswell, and it's been in use, being used on humans in human testing, the taking of men, women, and children that's misreported as alien abductions. So you believe you have the how? Yes, and I think I know the why. Why is more complicated than you may ever know, Mr. Mulder. Sixty years ago, we were warned about the military-industrial complex gathering too much power. This is old news. The countdown has begun. It began in 2012, but no one knew. Tell me something new. Alien technology being used against us, not by alien Aliens, not with aliens, but by a venal conspiracy of men against humanity. I'm wasting my time. What are the tests for? You tell me, Mr. Mulder. Ten years ago, you came to me saying you couldn't take your secrets to your grave, that you couldn't live with it. A man of medicine. I didn't know how my work would be used. The lies are so great, Mr. Mulder. The truth must be unassailable. And let me tell the world. They'll make a mockery of us. And let me take that bullet. And these men are capable of that. You're nearly there. You're close. Roswell. That was a smokescreen.